0: In this episode, be prepared for a deep dive into the deep end of the personal development pool. Let's go.
1: Welcome to the Russell Westcott podcast, helping real estate investors like you acquire the inspiration, knowledge and skills that you need to start, grow and scale the real estate investing portfolio
0: of your dreams. Hey, gang, how's it going? Russell Westcott here. So I'm going to keep this one short and sweet and tidy. And Hope you're having yourself a wonderful day and, you know, just uh, give you a little bit of some context where this episode is upcoming. So, uh, where do I start? There's quite a bit to go here and I'm trying to keep it tight. Last week, I tested positive for COVID and it was a really rough week. Self-isolation, I think it was like Tuesday late afternoon was starting to feel, starting to go a little downhill. And then, uh, you know, tested positive the next morning and I literally never got out of bed from Tuesday evening till Sunday, late afternoon. It was a rough week. I'm um, starting to feel better now. But you know, I'm, I'm a little behind and I'm a little fatigued. And, you know, the voice might be sounding a little different if you're a follower of the podcast. And and here's just part of my workflow. What I like to do is I have lots of episodes in the can of some interviews that are already done. But I always like to do the intros and the outros and the ins and the exits. I like to do those, you know probably the week of that it comes out because I like to deepen the context after maybe I've had a chance to listen to the episode. I deepen the context by adding another lesson. I deepen the context with some, you know, some timely things that are happening in the marketplace. You know, essentially, each episode that comes out, I try to do almost like three episodes in one, the intro, the main interview, or the solo episode, and then the outro, and then just have more depth to the story. But this one I'm I'm a little bit far behind and I don't have quite the energy and my voice isn't quite there at the moment. So I'm having a hard time getting some intros and some additional context for some of the long form interviews I have. So what I decide, somebody asked me a question was of all the 106 plus episodes you've done, was there an episode that stood out that probably didn't get enough love that maybe that you thought was just impactful and really powerful that probably didn't get enough attention that people didn't listen to enough was there an episode there and it was interesting right during that time when someone was asking me it was it was a 2 year anniversary to a time when I did a facebook live with uh, phil mckernan and that would be the episode. It was episode number four on my podcast. It was really early in the process when I first was just you know, trying to figure things out and trying to get the handle on the recordings and didn't have the editing that I have now. And it was a powerful, powerful conversation, a powerful episode. And it's probably one of the episodes, in my personal opinion, that are not enough people really have listened to. When I go back and I look at the stats, I think it's, you know, most episodes have you know, many hundreds, if not thousands of listens, this one has, you know, barely even a hundred. So here's what I'm going to do for this episode is we're going to rebroadcast. Um, We're going to put this one in here again. And this is the conversation that I had with Philip McKernan. And we talked a lot about many different uh, personal development exercises. Now, understand this was recorded right at the beginning of the start of the COVID-19 pandemic and right I think it was March of or April of 2020. So lots of the context and things we're going to talk about, you'll get the picture from there. So just understand that's when it was recorded. But each and every part of this message is valuable, whether there's a global pandemic or whether there's you know things like that or not going on. So so just FYI, I just want to give you some context for that and just to wrap it up as well as I'm doing well, I'm doing much better. I don't get sick or catch colds very often. And it's what is it probably every four years maybe every four to five years, I get a cold. And when I do get it, it's a doozy, it knocks me on my backside for for the better part of, you know, a few days. And you know, like there was that old commercial, remember, there was this old commercial about when sometimes when when guys get sick, it's like, oh, Pam, can you call my mom? That's almost what I was like, during this time, but but I'm feeling much better. Energy's coming back day by day. I'm just so Oh blessed and grateful that this isn't going to turn into something that, like what my amazing, lovely wife had, where she was literally in bed for two months. And still now, even now, she has some fatigue issues, and there's still some issues that are still lingering around. So... You know, if if any of you or any of you have had COVID or your family or anyone within your family, you know, I I understand, I hear you, I feel what you've gone through, I know what you've gone through. It impacts everybody differently. It truly does. And within our family unit now of our immediate family of 10, we've had, um, I think now six of us. So 60% of us have gone that and everything from, you know, someone out of commission for a couple months to, you know, 82 year old grandma who was like two days. So it impacts each and everyone a little differently. And I hope you and your family are healthy and hope you're all safe. And you know what? More episodes and more podcast uh, episodes are coming up and I do realize I am a little bit brain fog and I am rambling on a little bit so I will cut this one short. This is an episode from episode number 4, a wonderful conversation with Phil McKernan. So for those of you that listen to it, this is a fantastic opportunity to deepen your understanding deepen your listen to this one and for those of you that are brand new to the podcast and maybe you've just listened to the last few episodes this is one of those powerful episodes early on in the process that didn't get enough love and I'm just going to rebroadcast it here for you okay gang I hope you have a wonderful day and with all that being said please help welcome Mr. Philip McKernan
1: see if that helps move a little light here Make me, try to make me look a little bit better than I am. I forgot, I forgot, I forgot the makeup. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: well, Philip, that could be tough. <laughs> there ain't enough makeup in the world to make us look better, Philip. <laughs> Well, you right, speak for yourself. Yeah, exactly. OK, well, you know, I always make the joke is, hey, guys, I think we're going live. So here we are. So, guys, we're just a couple minutes minutes uh, behind schedule, but no worries. Philip and I were just having a wonderful conversation just before we started. And I'll tell you what, the conversation is anything like we're going to have while the cameras are on. We had behind the scenes. This is going to be completely epic. So, Philip, the first and foremost thing that I wanted to just ask you is, how are you doing? Um, How are you doing? How is Pauline doing? How are the kids doing? And I have to pass along a big giant kiss and a hug from my wife to each and every one of you. Cool. Well,
1: back, back at her. Back at her. How am I doing? I think the easy answer is to say okay, considering, or I'm doing pretty well, or whatever. I think the truth is, last week I was genuinely concerned, and I know some of our community were surprised to hear me say this in a call the other day, but I was, I was scared. I was really, 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 really scared for various different reasons that, you know, I could intellectually cite. Uh, one of them being, you know, 98% of our entire business is built on the back of live events, face-to-face coaching of some type, etc. And uh, obviously that's, you know, hugely t- threatened and right now more or less shut down. But, and I'm not saying I'm beyond all of that, but about, I'll tell you precisely, last Thursday morning, I did a workout and I remember shifting in the middle of that conversation or in the middle of that workout And the question I ask myself is, who am I going to be through this crisis and how am I going to remember myself? Because if I, if I cite our focus on being remembered by others, whether it's in our community or otherwise humanity, et cetera, it's often seeking external validation. And I just said, who am I going to remember myself as? So when I look back in six months from now, Russell, six years or 16 years from now, how am I going to remember how I tackle this human crisis, this human challenge, this human opportunity? And uh, that's all I can influence. I can't control it, but I can influence it. And it instantaneously allowed me to do two things. One was shift into this idea of, it's not about Philip McKernan, it's about how many people can I help that I feel are isolated or need some support in this crisis. But the, the shadow side of that, the dark side of that, which I've shared with nobody except for you five minutes ago is, I think I've also used that external focus to actually escape my own, my own emotions. I've used that, hey, I'm going to help the world to actually escape what I'm feeling. So I need to nurture Philip McKernan Tread this time. I need to take some space for me. So I'm sad. I'm a little scared, but way less scared. And I'm genuinely excited. And I think I oscillate between the three, but I'm probably a little bit more on the excited. Talk to me last week.
0: I'd either be faking it and pretending or I'd genuinely be scared. Wow. Well, I'll tell you. <laughs> okay, guys, we're like four minutes in and we're already in the deep end of the pool. That's what I love about Philip McKernan, guys. So if you're making your way in and you're starting to watch this broadcast, I probably won't be able to get to any of the comments. I have a couple of the devices here for comments, but please just jump in. Philip and I are going to review all the comments after. Tell us where you're from, you know, do a shout out, all kind of wonderful things like that. So, Philip, I have some... Um, I have a prize today, a coveted prize for the person that puts in the most comments in the Facebook, in the YouTube feeds. This is the most coveted prize in our household that I can offer. Okay, so we have a family of five, and I think we're down to four rolls of toilet paper. So this is my own personal roll. We had to put our names on it. So, So this is the coveted prize. So those of you that comment the most... You will actually get to win the most coveted prize. of Okay, of so I paper. need
1: to pause the call right here because <laughs> I need to go and make some comments.
0: Yes. Well, so you know, what did I just do there? I kind of maybe deflected a heavy conversation with humor, right? Do, do people <laughs> do that? Right. Why do people, not? Do people do that quite a bit, Philip? Is that something that a lot of people do? I think we yeah, maybe think... need a little more humor right now, anyways, don't we? Absolutely. I think
1: humor can be allowed to come into the conversation in a beautiful way, and I think also humor can be a way to distract. Certain you know conversations that perhaps we just don't want to navigate ourselves. So I think humor, bring it on. I think we, we need to create more humor in the world. You know, I remember years ago Russell talking to one of my closest friends in Ireland, a guy called Gary. And uh, you met Gary actually years ago, ironically. And Gary said to me, "What's it like speaking at events in America and Canada and North America in general?" And I said, "You know what? It's great." I said, "But sometimes they don't get my sense of humor," and he goes, "Oh, so it's the the Canadians, the Americans' fault?" He says. Let me just bring you and give you an insight into something. You're just not funny. <laughs> it's nothing to do with your Canadian friends and your, your U.S. audience. So again, I think one of the things the Irish do, probably better than anybody on, on earth, and this is the only thing I'll ever say as it relates to that, is the Irish are good at making fun of themselves. And I think that is a great opportunity for us That do we take ourselves a little bit too serious in life? And can we actually kind of, you know, almost not degrade ourselves, it's different. But can we make fun of ourselves a little bit in a constructive, funny kind of manner? And I think what it can do sometimes is it just takes this little edge of seriousness out of our life, whether it's in a crisis or out of a crisis.
0: Yeah. Well, I know my wife, if she's watching right now, is probably eye rolling, and she's going, "Russell, please try not to do your your sense of humor." I know when I I, I try joke in the family, and and their the response is, "No, please, just stop." Stop, no, don't, and then then just actually encourages me to go a little further. So, so, so Philip, let, let me just take a step back here. For the people that are watching today's live broadcast, first of all, thank you. This is incredible. You're super crazy busy with what's going on and within your practice and coaching and helping others and also needing to take time out for yourself. Some people might not be familiar with who the gift Philip McKernan is in this community within people that know me that are probably watching this. If you were to just give a quick snapshot about who Philip McKernan is, how he helps and what he does, would you just give a quick snapshot for people?
1: I mean, honestly, Russell, if this was, I honestly think if this was a week ago, I would have had a different answer, maybe more scripted. I think I'm an insecure, secure human being that's had a, a tough ride. I have probably the most insane care and love for humanity that is bordering and overwhelming at times. I think I've been given an opportunity that the work I do flows through me. I'm not talking about God or the universe. whatever you believe is you you come from wherever you believe, but I do believe that it's universally that there's something that flows through me and it's not about me. It's not about me and my ego. It's not about Philip McKernan being something uh, that he's not. I think people judge me a lot and a lot of people are scared of me. And I don't think many of those have gotten to really take the time to know me. And, my gift in this world is to be able to see through the stories that people are telling themselves and allow them to see themselves begin to see themselves for who they are for the first time in their lives and begin to create a life that actually is in alignment with the essence of who they are and i think if i had to describe myself in one word it wouldn't be a coach it would actually be a guide so if we think about an amount analogy Uh, A coach will teach you how to put on ropes. A coach will teach you how to, you know, what backpack to wear, how to use crampons, how to use ice packs, et cetera. A guide is assuming you already know and you're equipped to climb the mountain. You just may not have been on this mountain before. And my job is to help you navigate the journey of life, you know, out of yourself uh, into yourself and therefore out of yourself, if that makes any sense. And that might sound fluffy for some, but in practical terms, that's finding more meaningful work, connecting with yourself and connecting with your loved ones in a way that perhaps you've never done
0: before. Wow, absolutely beautiful. So, And you've you actually coined a phrase that I don't think I ever heard before. I first heard it from you, but sorry if I'm, I'm used this quite a bit, is you actually coined a phrase called soul set. You know, we have a skill set and a mindset and everybody talks about that. Very few people talk about soul set. Can you just talk about that for a second?
1: Yeah, so also to me is if you think about our, our mind, which has been given so much you know, credence and, and, and so much attention in the world, our mind is very, very powerful. Uh, the challenge is that we're using anywhere between 3 and 10% of our mind, which I think is too much. Uh, a lot of people are saying, wait till humanity evolves to a point we're using 50% of our mind. Then we're going to be rocking and rolling and everything's going to be perfect. I think what we've done is given up this human need, desperate need and longing to feel and replaced it by a societal pressure or expectation to think. And soul set for me is actually coming back to our intuition, coming back to emotion. So I I use this in the the world of soccer. So I work with an MLS team. I work with a pro team in Canada, a pro team in in the US, and every single one of the players that want to get better, the challenge they have is they're in their head too much. And yet, we say that the mind is the place where all the great things happen. If you talk about any golfer, and you you know golf uh, well more intellectually, you're not you're not that good
0: at golf, even despite the fact you talk you talk a great game. I still have that loony to get back from you. I don't know what you're, you're talking ran about. Anyway, move, moving on very quickly,
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, any great golfer in the history of golf, when they describe themselves coming down the last hole when they're winning a tournament, they're actually not thinking at all. It's an absence of thought is actually where human nature is at its most authentic and the cleanest and the clearest it's ever been. So soul set is an opportunity to not get rid of the mind, but suspend our reliance on the mind and drop into a place of a little bit more connection, feeling, allowing people into our lives, not being so guarded, allowing ourselves to process emotions that perhaps we've been holding and traumas we've been holding for a long time, to live more freely with more peace of mind. Because peace of mind, ultimately, if you don't have peace of mind, it's an indicator that you're off somewhere in your life.
0: Yeah, no, wow. So I've got a lot of different directions with where I want to go. But before I do that, guys, what I want you to do is if you're watching this, please share it share it out within your channel, share it to tag somebody who you think needs to hear a message like this right now, guys. I'm here with Philip McKernan. We're just having a wonderful conversation here on a Friday morning. We've got our waters and our coffees. And I hope you guys are understanding the value you're going to get from this. We're not going to talk tactics too much. We're not going to talk about the nitty gritties. We're going to talk a little bit more about feelings. Now, As soon as I said feelings, every guy just said, well, I'm gone, right? (laughs) So, But here's the thing is, if you're afraid of the feelings, maybe that's something you maybe need to lean into a little bit more. Question for you. A couple of questions for you. Have you ever had a St. Patrick's Day like you just
1: had this past week, Philip? No. uh, Well, a few things on St. Patrick's Day. It's not St. Patty's Day, in case anybody is wondering. St. Patrick's Day is the first time in the history of Ireland. I think that every single pub in Ireland was closed. So St. Patrick's Day in Ireland was definitely very different. And what we did, uh, maybe it was irresponsible, but we had a socially responsible—at least that's the term we used—gathering uh, in our driveway where anyone could turn up with a and have a, a whiskey or a Guinness and stand, you know, six foot apart and, and chat. And we had about twenty people outside in our in our, in our driveway. But no, is the answer. I've never had a St. Patrick's Day like that in my life before.
0: Now, I know these are truly unprecedented times, and if anybody has telling you they've been through something like that, either they were born before 1915 or they're lying to you. However, you have been through some similar times where you've come from within Ireland and economics. Can you share a little bit about how that is shaping how you're looking at what's happening now?
1: Yeah. One of the greatest economic boom-boss stories in the history of, well, modern history, if we want to call it that, is... Ireland went from one of the poorest countries in Europe to the second wealthiest country on the planet per capita in a space of anywhere between, it was something approximately 10 to 12 years, which in, in historical terms or you know, uh, you know economic terms is a bit of a, uh, just a sneeze. But the speed of it was extraordinary. The thing that I noticed throughout that time, it wasn't the financial meltdown. It wasn't the financial cost it was the social invoice as i've talked about or referred to it that we paid as a society during that time i mean i love ireland so anybody listening from ireland i'm not criticizing the country i I was there two hands up guilty as hell but what happens when the economy is rocking when things are busy it's almost like let's make as much hay you know while the sun is shining it's almost like somebody opened the bar and said drinks are free and everyone just goes crazy and it's almost we can't be fully trusted in ourselves And when the economy falls off an edge, if we've attached a lot of our identity and a lot of our meaning to growth, to money, to success in societal terms, as it's often being dubbed now, if that is threatened, it doesn't just threaten our bank balance, our investment portfolio, it threatens the essence of who I am as a man. The essence of who I am as a father, the essence of who I am as an individual navigating this this world, whether I'm a man or a woman. So it takes us from the knees when, in fact, it shouldn't. We become too reliant strategically. I think we, you know, the financial piece. Maybe we just don't put enough cash away, and we push ourselves too far. Emotionally, we just leave ourselves very, very, very exposed. So we have, and absolutely, what you said. We have experienced unprecedented. A collapse in, in an economy. Real estate off the edge of a cliff, not a mountain, not a hill. It didn't bounce down. It went off the edge of a cliff. The lights were literally turned off. I'm not suggesting it's going to be similar because this is new landscape for us, for sure.
0: Wow. And it's almost like, you know, whatever you have your calling or higher power or spirituality or whatever, it's almost like humanity has been put in a timeout. Guys, let's just take a timeout. Let's take a breath. You know, the irony is, I posted this today on Facebook, is never in the history of that I'm aware of have we as a society and humans been so galvanized around one thing, right? Mm-hmm. And, but never have we probably ever felt more isolated and alone than we are right now. So it's, it's one of the biggest paradoxes you will probably ever see is we're all galvanized around something and everybody's talking about it, but we're actually just kind of alone and isolated in that as well. So maybe just touch on that a little bit, Phil.
1: Yeah, I mean, I said to a group the other day, and this is something I haven't said publicly, partially because like everyone else, I'm afraid sometimes of speaking my truth because of the backlash. But regardless, I'm going to say it again now. And I said it to a small group of clients I work with on an ongoing basis. And I said, I think to some extent the universe has presented us this in order to slow us down so we can really assess and look at our lives. And I say this with love and respect. I know there are people literally dying as a result of this virus in different countries around the world, in Canada, I'm sure, and in the US, and there's gonna be probably more. And I'm not trying to diminish what we're going through, but I think the loneliness that many of us are experiencing right now has been with us for a very long time. The greatest pandemic I believe humanity has faced over the last 10 years, not the last six or 10 months, is this isolation, this sense of loneliness. And there's nothing more weird for a human being to be surrounded by people, to have thousands of Facebook followers, to, to, to have thousands of people you know, following them on Twitter and Instagram, and to go to an office every day and still feel isolated and alone. And what I'm concerned about with humanity today is that when we get challenged, we actually remove ourselves that we actually take ourselves away from society. And we do things like, yeah, but Philip and Russell, I get the whole conversation thing, but you don't realize my situation is, you don't, you guys don't understand it, which is the greatest way of isolating yourself further. Because if I don't understand your challenge, it means I don't understand you. If you're not understood, it means society don't understand you. So you're better off kind of backing away a little bit. You might be on Facebook Live, but you're actually removing yourself emotionally from the world. So we self-isolate and have been increasingly more and more and more in society. And loneliness is the greatest pandemic this country, this world has ever seen. And it's creating a disconnectiveness within ourselves and within our community. And then when things like this happen, it just sends us into a bit of a spiral for many people. It just makes us feel even more cut off from the rest of the world.
0: Well, and sometimes, and I'm... I say this because I'm guilty of this myself, is sometimes the hardest relationship to have with a person is the relationship with yourself. I'm the worst enemy of myself. I'm my worst critic. I'm my worst judge of some things that I do. You know, I have lots of people tell me you did a great job, but I just diminish it right off the bat. I deflect it and tell that I, you know, I could have done better or whatever. And We just, we just deflect a lot of those things of the relationship we have with ourselves. How do you help somebody out? Sorry, guys, I, I, is the clock on for my counseling session here, Philip? <laughs> Absolutely. And there you go. Look at me deflecting. i got, got, got four again, hours deflecting again with humor. Um, how do you help somebody that maybe just has doesn't have a great relationship with themselves at the moment?
1: Well, first of all, I can't unless they're open to it. It's like the alcoholic saying to me, "Hey, yeah, my wife wants me to be here, or my husband wants me to." to deal with my alcoholism and and uh, are you an alcoholic and they'll say to me well i don't think so i don't think i need alcohol but everyone else seems to think it and they said well when you're ready you know when you admit it to yourself then we'll just have a chat so that's the basic premise like at the end of the day people need it but here's what i know to be absolutely true. And I know this will push some buttons for some of your audience. And that is every single human being struggles deeply with a relationship to themselves. Some of us don't even understand what that is. They don't even get what it is. They may have a relationship with their God and then they bypass that into their family and into their community, into their business. But a lot of us actually don't like who we are. And therefore, we layer in dreams and aspirations and we layer in goals and things that we want to achieve in on top of that foundation, which is fundamentally rocky, cracked, flawed, whatever. And that's where sabotage starts to show up. That's where we almost burn our own bridges because at the end of the day, we don't feel deserving of love. We don't feel deserving of success. We don't feel deserving of money. One of the things, Russell, I've done for years is actually hold space with human beings to have a conversation about their relationship to money. I mean, we could do a whole podcast on that. And people go, you mean how to spend it or how how to make it? And I go, no, what's your relationship to money? How do you feel about money? I mean, here's a question, which I think is fascinating. And that is, if your listeners just take a breath for a moment and consider if they had to pick one word that describes or captures how they feel about money, not what they think, how they feel about money, And they really connect emotionally to that one word and then allow that word to come out. You will have literally, if we had seven men or women or seven men and women in a room, Russell, we'll have love, freedom, hate, numbness. We'll have the absolute broadest spectrum. And it goes back to our relationship. How do we, how are we in relationship to money? Do we see it as something that is? And again, what happens is people often override this by some beautiful line out of a book, going, oh, it's an energy and it flows and whatever. No, that's what you think you want to believe around money. That's what you think you should say. How do you actually feel about it? What did you grow up witnessing energetically around money, the conversation? So for many people, they want wealth, but they don't want wealth. Are they want wealth, and it actually, they're so consumed by the money, they're running from what they do not want, which is often poverty, and they end up building wealth, but actually they're unfulfilled. And trust me, I know, I've dealt with that personally and professionally with millions, not millions of people, excuse me, with with many, many, many thousands of people around the world, including some of the wealthiest men and women on earth. Well, hopefully soon to be many millions. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it sounds sound sexy to say millions. Maybe indirectly, it's influenced many more, but no, definitely thousands.
0: Yeah, so I saw something um, just recently, and this isn't making any light of the health concern that's going on with the coronavirus and the COVID-19 that's going around. And many people are going to, it's going to be challenged, it's going to be suffering. But I've heard the term that actually the social contagion is actually going to be a worse contagion than the actual virus itself. You know, social contagion, meaning, you know, the fear and the stress and the overwhelm and the panic and, you know, it's, it's like, Karine and I were talking here yesterday and we're sitting here and it's like, you feel like something should be happening, like something like what's going on. But then when you look outside, there's nothing going on, like, like really nothing is happening. Is that, is that a fairly normal feeling that people will be having right about now? I think a lot of people, I might, there might be some people on the
1: call or listening in either today or in the future and say, you know, guys, I'm not feeling this. And here's an interesting thought. If you're not feeling fear and you're not worried and you're actually excited, there's a lot of people feeling guilt for that. There's a lot of people that I know, and I literally have talked to them all this week. I've I've talked to hundreds of people this week, not every single person individually, obviously, but calls and individual calls. And there's so much broadness in terms of the emotional spectrum that people are experiencing. But some people are feeling guilt for not freaking out. And what I'd love to invite people to do and ask people to do is to honor how you're feeling and be okay with that. Now, I'm not talking denial because a lot of people just focus on everything's awesome and everything's positive, and that's denial. That's that's an energy that's going to take up so much energy to pretend everything's awesome when you know it's not awesome. On the other side of it, what's emerging is a lot of worry for people and a lot of genuine fears. But what I would present to you and everybody else is that those worries and those fears aren't because of the uncertainty around the current crisis in the world. They're not around the the virus that's sweeping the earth. That's triggering a fear. It is triggering a worry that has been around for a very long time. And I I actually pulled up a quote, and I tend not to use quotes necessarily. And that is a quote from a psychoanalyst who was born in the uh, late 1800s from the United Kingdom, Donald Winnicott is his name. The catastrophe you fear will happen has already happened. The catastrophe you fear will happen has already happened. So you asked me earlier on, Russell, have I experienced something like this before? And the answer is yes and absolutely no, because it's unprecedented. But here's the thing I didn't share earlier on. When I was on that treadmill, I was doing that workout. The other thing that emerged for me is I went beyond the fear. I asked the question behind the question. So for example, what am I afraid of? And then the answer is uncertainty or or failure or a lack of money or whatever. And then I said, okay, be courageous. Go deeper. What's beyond that? What's behind that? What's under that? What's the thing I don't want to identify? And again, not to diminish what's going on in the world today, but actually what came up for me was it actually brought me right back to a day where I was humiliated and the rug was pulled from under me and I was left on my knees wondering, why am I even bothering in this world? And I won't get into that story right now. It's not relevant. But the uncertainty in the current climate brought that emotion up. So it's an extraordinary thing to imagine because if we can start to separate these older fears that are reemerging or these older worries that are reemerging, what we can start to do is actually separate it and tackle it and in that process, what will happen is the current climate won't be as insurmountable. That's number one. And if you don't mind, I want to expand very quickly. Yep, please take your time. Yesterday, I had a coaching call with a group. Um, I was yesterday before I can't even remember. But anyway, one of the men said, "I'm feeling a lot of anxiety," and I said, "Great." I didn't say great as in it's great. I mean, great. We've, we're identifying it. What is the anxiety about? And he said, "It's about my mother who lives about." three, four, 500 miles away or a thousand miles away. And I feel isolated. I can't get to her. So most people would say, right, period, full stop. That's the anxiety. How do we help them with it? And I said, with respect, I said, if your mother lived next door to your house, or you moved her there, would the anxiety go away? And he said, absolutely. And I said, you cannot answer that question. And he goes, what are you talking about? Of course I can answer that. I said, you cannot answer that question. Because you cannot move your mother right now and you don't know what it's like if your mother lived next door. So bear with me, I'm going somewhere with this. And he goes, okay, so where are we going? I said, even if your mother moved next door and even if you were right, the anxiety around your mother dissipated, dissolved, disappeared. You would take that anxiety and you would put it into something else. It's not about your mother. I'm not saying you don't care about her. It's not about your, the anxiety is the anxiety. The anxiety has been around for a long time. It's been stirred by the current climate. And you're putting it and fixating it on a a particular subject, which ironically is outside of your control, which is also interesting because anxiety and worry is often a choice. And it's a place of limbo that we use to torment ourselves. Now, in every interview I've ever done, I've never said this before. This is very new thinking for me. It's a choice that we use to leave ourselves in a sense of limbo. So we torment ourselves. The next stage beyond that, as I said to this man, and I know his background, I know he can write and he can write beautifully. I said, what does the anxiety and the worry allow you not to address in your own personal life? And he's going, what are you talking about? I said, what is it allowing you or giving you permission not to do? And he's gone, like he's he's a bit bamboozled because this is new thinking for him. And I said, so when was the last time you wrote something? You actually sat down and wrote something and published it into the world. And he said, I write every day. I said, I'll ask my question again. When was the last time you wrote something and published it into the world? He said, three, four months ago. I said, the world needs your writing. And right now you're wallowing in this anxiety and this worry, and you're not getting to the thing that is your gift and your opportunity to help humanity. So for all of us, there might be some genuine worry and anxiety, but how much of it is unreal and how much of it are we using so we don't have to make choices
0: and changes in our own lives? Wow. <laughs> Okay, guys. So once again, I'm here with Philip McKernan, and uh, we're having a wonderful, courageous conversation here. By all means, please share this out to people that you might need to feel that they need to hear this, guys. So that's one of my only asks. We're not charging. There's no charges. There's no emails. There's no nothing. All we do is all we ask is that you just share and pass this along to other people. Um, Philip, you've talked an awful lot about. um, You know, I've had the pleasure of knowing you for a long time. You talk an awful lot about intuition. And gut feeling. And a lot of people, you know, everybody on one level thinks, yeah, my intuition and trust my gut and stuff like that. But people don't really maybe know what that means. Like, can you expand on intuition a little bit for us?
1: Yeah, it's more of a feeling. It's more of a sense of, and it's not fear-based and it's not driven by anxiety. It's a deeper feeling. So for example, I had a a case of this or an example of this literally this morning where my wife, you know, we were talking about these little kids who want to come over to our house who are literally literally directly across the road and is it okay and everything else and we were talking about well you know their parents out and are we being socially responsible and all this stuff and my wife then said something very interesting she said there's so much confusion in the united states there's a lack of of leadership and clarity of messaging coming from from the top down and she said yeah i just really want someone to kind of like the local Boulder municipality or, the, or Colorado where we live are the United to tell us what to do. And I said, no, 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 no. That's you disempowering yourself. And that's not you. You know exactly what you want to do, but you're looking to somebody else. You don't have to take responsibility. So it's a, it's a little example of that. A bigger example of that, which I may have shared with you before, Russell, is the girl who came to a workshop. And long story short, when I asked the room. I said, "Why are you here?" She jumped up and put her hand up and really wants to tell this story. And I said, "Why are you here?" She said, "Well, my life has turned upside down. I've had my the rug pulled from under me. My heart ripped apart because my husband cheated on me in the most horrific manner." And she had this incredible dialed in victim story with respect and and bear with me for a second in case some of the listeners are rolling their eyes and saying you know and i looked at her and i said and did you see this coming and she goes are you kidding no one saw this coming. not even his brother and my mother and my friends and i looked at her and no one has ever challenged this narrative because the problem with unchallenged narratives is they start to kind of almost penetrate our psyche and become part of our identity No one had ever challenged her on this. And I said, I don't believe you. I don't believe that you didn't see this coming. I don't believe someone as smart and as intuitive as you didn't smell something. And she looked at me, and I'm telling you, she was shaking, vibrating very slightly. And I could feel the anger coming straight from her eyes right into mine. And I said, does that piss you off? She goes, no, 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 no. She was so angry, she wanted to rip my face open. And I looked at her and I said, well, with respect, I feel the anger. Let's name the anger that's going on right now towards me. And let's see what lies just beyond that. And then she dropped her head. And as she lifted her head, the mascara was running down her face because the tears were pushing it down. And she looked at me and she said, I knew it the day I met him. And I knew it the day I walked down the aisle. And the beauty about that story, because there is beauty in the story, is that not have I just open the possibility for her to see it differently, to take her part in this, to begin to see that she actually betrayed herself first before she was betrayed by somebody else. She ignored her intuition. She ignored her gut. And I'll tell you why she ignored it. I'll tell you exactly why. And this is such a human condition. This is such a human flaw to some extent, is that we get so attached to an outcome that when we get attached to that outcome, it often defines our path. Now, it's a big difference. I'm not talking about then setting goals or having any type of intentionality or any types of dreams and aspirations are wrong. What I'm saying is have a dream, but don't be attached to it. It's that lack of attachment defines who we are or the attachment defines who we are. So let's imagine for a moment that this little stone here, it says, actually, ironically, be brave. Someone gifted that to me. This little stone here represents an intimate relationship in my life. I'm just going to stick on the same the same theme. That I'm a guy, and this represents the perfect girl, whatever that is. And I, I'm a woman, and this represents the perfect man. But the challenge is that I'm missing one key step. I'm almost saying that I have to have this in my life in order to be defined. I have to have this in my life in order to be complete. Okay, Jerry Maguire, the movie. You complete me. That that corny, amazing line. Depending on your perspective, my wife doesn't complete me. My wife gives me a different angle, a different opportunity. It it stretches me into it. Just my wife doesn't complete me, because what I'm saying then is I'm not complete without her. You know, we we joke about this, Russell. But either you or I, the world, say, "Oh, my better half." My wife's not my better half. Most people would say she is. She, maybe she's a better person than me. That's different. Because if I break up my wife, not just am I I on my own, but my better half is gone. So I've I've got the shitty half left. (laughs) So the challenge is the attachment. And and this attachment, replace this with real estate, replace this with wealth, replace this with financial freedom, replace this with love, replace this with connection, replace this with anything. And the problem is when you are so attached to an outcome, you ignore the red flags on the peripheral because you need this too badly. This woman chose the wrong man because she was too attached to a particular outcome. Now, I know this might be off the topic a little bit, but it's part of the reason that we're, we're feeling so disconnected now is because we are so attached to control. Yes, I use the word control. And by the way, you control freaks out in the world of which I'm partly one of, you know, partly control freak-ish. This is going to test you beyond your limits. Because now the lack of of this control that you thought you had, which was an illusion, is being rattled to shit and back. And what you're probably going to do is you're going to get busy. That's the worst thing you could do. It's the worst thing on earth you could do is just get busy. And all you do is spend these eight or 12 or six months or eight or 12 or six weeks. And all you do is you get busy doing shit. And when you go back to life, you look back someday in the future and go, wow, that was an unprecedented time. Did I use that as wisely as I could? And wisely meaning, did I just take space for myself to connect or reconnect with who I am, what my dreams and aspirations are, et cetera?
0: Wow, wow. Uh, well, here's the thing, guys. I wish we could spend, we're not finished yet, but I'm just gonna, I wanna put a, a context and a frame around this for a second. I wish we could spend years with Mr. Phil McKernan. We're doing some deep, heavy questions, some deep interpersonal work. That is literally is a lifetime practice for each and every one of us. And in an hour conversation, I know we're not going to do it 100% justice, but I think one of our intentions was was just to get people to think, get people more importantly to feel, and get people in starting a conversation, if you will, right? Speaking of conversations, Philip, and I know there'll be probably lots of people that are watching this that are, are, are parents, and there's children, and people watch, you know, the kids Typically, will we'll be watching us and how we handle this as parents, they might model when they have their own challenging times down the road, too. How would you recommend people have conversation with their kids?
1: If you're feeling anxiety, if you're feeling fear, if you're feeling joy, allow your kids to experience it. So I sat our kids down the other day and I said, listen, guys, I'm scared. I looked at my eight-year-old Russell, our little girl called Maggie, and I've I thought I saw her scared before you know with movies and like harry potter moments and lord voldemort coming in and out in the screen and she's snuggling up beside me and i looked at my little girl who's eight and i saw real fear in her face the first time ever because her dad was scared now there are some parents out there that would say that is irresponsible and it is the wrong thing to do to put that type of responsibility on my on my child i'm not putting responsibility on my child how she chooses to accept that is her journey what i'm saying is what i'm allowing my children to see within reason is how their dad is actually feeling. I mean, we live in a culture whereby we often feel that we need to protect our children from, like, we don't argue in front of them, we argue behind closed doors. We put cotton wool in the corner of every piece of furniture in the world. And what we think we're doing is setting themselves up. I'm not asking you to allow them to be hurt and to be, you know, kind of irresponsible. But allow your kids to see your truth, allow them to feel your truth, because here's the thing I know about people and humans and how we adore our parents or look up to our parents in many cases, is that we look up to our parents, we see them almost like hero-like, they're almost infallible, they're almost like nothing can shake them. And what happens is if we don't see those shaky moans, we don't see the vulnerabilities in our parents, we automatically as kids begin to believe that that's normality, so therefore, I have to be strong, and I cannot be weak, and I cannot show any type of weakness. And yet, we expect our kids in turn to open up to us about bullying, about their self-body image, and about the worries and the anxieties we have. So, be be the person you want them to be. Allow them to see your vulnerabilities. That's number one. Number two is bring them into the conversation about how we can make an impact. And impact is not about writing a book, running a blog, you know, building a you know a massive you know real estate portfolio. It's not about that. Leadership and giving back and impact is about you know the neighbor. So what we did the other day is we sat down and we wrote a letter and we brought the kids into the letter and the letter went out to 30 houses, either side of our house here. And the letter basically said, in this interesting, challenging time, if you find yourself isolated because of the virus, and you cannot leave your home and you cannot get to the grocery store or the drugstore or you cannot walk your dog, please call on us and we'll support you, assuming that we're not isolated ourselves, P.S. And we walked up and down the street delivering this with our kids. Now, is that going to change the world, Russell? No. But is it going to change the world in this little environment here temporarily? Yes. And is it going to set a precedent for our kids to know that it's the small things in life that actually make the biggest difference? It's not the best-selling New York Times bestseller book that comes and goes. It's the small things and it's how it makes you feel. By doing that so that's what we're doing it's not perfect but that's what we're doing
0: well if enough people do that it potentially has a chance to rip right and that's how it starts and i saw that post i know my we love the post and things like that guys if you ever do jump into philip's facebook post or or maybe i'll share it out or whatever but it was just a brilliant letter and i highly encourage each and every one of us to do that like if you really truly think about if you know we all do 30 houses you know it can make a difference right and it changes the energy, Russell. It, it diminishes the
1: fear. It, you feel, you're, Suddenly you feel like you're you're being not just proactive and busy. That's not what I'm talking about. But you're actually doing something yeah. productive for well, the world.
0: And here's what I would challenge. And some of you may say I'm crazy. Some of you might not. But I would challenge that most people within 30 houses of their house do not know who the majority of the people that are that even live there. Even know their names. Or have even said hello. Or any of those kind of things. So, Yeah. Right? So... So speaking of that, actually a perfect segue into the next conversation I wanted to talk about. Philip, I've heard the term and lots of people use the term and lots of people have used this term called holding space, like holding space for other people, things like that. How do you define that for people, like a holding space for another? And then I do have another line of question I want to get down
1: yeah for me, I think it's probably one of the most sacred things you can do for another person. So some people will talk about sex, some you know intimacy or a massage or or whatever. to me, one of the most intimate, beautiful, vulnerable things you can do for another is to hold space for them. And holding space is not just holding space to listen to them. it's holding space to hear them. And this is not a coaching technique or any of that stuff. I think a lot of the coaching techniques out there are nothing other than techniques. So it does not mean they're not useful. But holding space is holding an environment, being with another person or with many other people and allowing them to show up unconditionally, allowing them to show up in a complete manner where you are not going to judge them, where you suspend your, so- your self-interest, where your ego does not need to swoop in with the S on the chest with the answer. And that you suspend your own curiosity. One of the greatest things as a coach, if you like, or a guide is that, you know, there's often a question I want to ask, but actually it's because I want to ask it, but it's not serving the individual and that you're allowing the person just to share and to be, and you're going to connect with them and feel what they're feeling and just let go of the need to help them almost. And that to me is holding, that's what really holding space is. And that is a leadership opportunity. And when I say leadership, I mean in business, leadership as a parent, leadership in your community, and even as a leader within your own life. So holding space is definitely the most, I actually think it's the most sacred, respectful thing you can do for another human being. So think about how many couples sit down and one of the couples, the the wife or the, the husband, the wife and the girlfriend wants to share something and it's instantly gets back this idea. Oh, but you should do this. And whether the intentionality or not is good, whether you want the best for that person is is, is irrelevant. Just holding space and allowing the person to share what they share is enough for them to realize what they're sharing and almost find the answer themselves. So here's the bigger thing is, when you constantly give solutions, which is, is more your ego than you think, when you're constantly giving people solutions, you're actually depriving them of the opportunity, depriving them of the opportunity to actually find the answers themselves and to grow, which is a bizarre thought process. When the dust settles, Russell, I've decided what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. And for the rest of my life, apart from sport, which is an area, my job is actually to be the guy that's behind the leaders. I want to sit behind leaders. I do not need to be the front-facing guy. And this is not just change because of the virus. This was coming for certainly the last six, eight months of my life. And I've realized that actually my ego wants to be out front. My ego wants me to be the keynote speaker. My ego wants to have the answers. My ego wants me to be the best coach in the world. But if I want to serve humanity, I've got to be behind the leaders who are going to go out and change the world. That's the role for Philip McKernan. I was the guy who never wants to be in the public domain. And then my ego started to kick in and say, hey, I want you to be running up front here. I want you to be the guy in lights. The truth is, I want to be behind here, not hiding. I just want to be behind here, pushing humanity forward with the greatest leaders in the world who are going to change people's lives, whether it's one or million at the same time. It doesn't
0: matter. Wow. Beautiful. Beautiful. So, so just a, on the same vein of that last conversation question is, you know, after however long this takes and flows through the system and whatever, you know, we're truly in uncharted waters. Like, what are some practical ways of how, like, you know, many people that are probably watching this, you know, we're in the the real estate space. We're rental housing providers. And we have, you know, as much as we say, we have a responsibility with the housing we provide to people, our tenants and our clients and our customers. And some of them are going to be having some really challenging times. How would somebody hold space for somebody going through a certain challenging time? And some people go on one side and they go, well, I'm not going to let them walk over me. Business is business and get out. And other people will be just maybe too soft. Like, what would you suggest there for people watching today? Yeah,
1: and well, the number one thing is I think you need to separate the two, the, the the man or the woman from the real estate. And again, that's a point I made earlier on, but it's critical because if you feel that the real estate or what you do professionally is the essence of who you are, if this goes south, this goes sideways, this goes north, this stays where it is, whatever happens it's going to bring the volatility into the soul of who you are so it's going to take you down or with it it's going to drag you so you need to kind of separate the two if you like I mean on a very practical level you're got to make some hard choices i mean i would start you know making some real practical savings right now we have as of last week we made some real tough decisions in our business we're contacting all of our vendors and saying hey we're paying you hundred dollars a month for the video service or the audio service or the this service and um, we want to cut it back so we're being proactive' we're not going to be basically forced into that in the future. At the same time, we're trying not to cut anybody off. We're trying to work with everybody and just you know lower the cost. So we're being we're we're ahead of the curve. To me, um, I know less about how to support people on the practical side of things. But also the other thing is don't be silent through all this. Reach out to all your tenants. Reach Be really proactive with the conversation. A lot of us, it, we're watching to see what happens. When, when the dust settles, then I'll send a letter out to my tenants. When the dust settles, I'll write to my banks. When the dust settles, I'll, I'll have that tough conversation. Don't wait. Lean in. Phone the bank. Say, hey, I want you to suspend my mortgage payments. I want you to do this. And they go, hang on a second. You can't just phone the Bank of Canada. Of course you can phone them. You might get somebody, you may not. Who cares? You're being proactive with the process. Lean into as many conversations as you can. Lean in, call your tenant, say, hey, we're scared. You're scared. We're going to work with you. What about doing this? What about this? Like, look at all the practical applications to this. Um, but the bigger thing is, if you think about this crisis right now as a switch, and let's just say, let's be dramatic for a moment, the switch, someone's turned the lights off. And I should say it's four weeks, eight weeks, 12 weeks. There's a specific date and time and the switch goes back on. Here's my bigger question for you. Is are you going to take up exactly where you left off? Or are you going to reimagine some part of your life? I think this is the greatest time in humanity to reset and to reimagine. Reset is not about blowing the system up. Reset is not about leaving Canada or leaving the United States. Reset is not about changing my job you know, overnight, because there's going to be practicalities and challenges around that within the new economy that we're moving into around this. But resetting is just resetting our focus, resetting our imagination, beginning to reimagine who we are. And the challenge with reimagining, Russell, is that if I've been in real estate my entire life, or if I've been in carpenter my entire life, if I've been a postman or woman my entire life, when you start to reimagine, it's very hard to look at your life outside of the things that you've done and the things that you know. We think about Everything has to go through the talents and the skills that we have learned. Well, with respect, I disagree. I can't possibly not be an accountant. I've just studied for six years. Well, I disagree. You might do something that has more meaning and connection to you. And then suddenly you realize, oh my God, I didn't realize my accounting was actually going to help me with this thing. So you might decide to, to change the real estate you know, portfolio strategy. For a lot of people, I think what this is going to do is going to put them in a position where they've known they needed to do things for years. They chose not to do it. And now they're feeling a bit more exposed. Yeah. And then they double down and say, therefore, I cannot change it in the future. And with respect, I disagree.
0: Yeah, and this could truly turn out to be, this time right now could be the greatest reset button that's ever been created for us. Like, and, you know, think about it for a second is, and I heard this the other day when I was listening to some of my favorite podcasts. And that was, you know, sometimes during this time, you may have to let things go. Sometimes during this time, you may actually act, let, sorry for the, the analogy of death, but you may have to let some things die within or having that. But in all great stories in all great journeys and all epic journeys, sometimes you have to have a, a death of something in order to transform into the next thing. The butter to you know the, the to the caterpillar to the butterfly to Luke Skywalker to being you know the hero to Greece and uh, mm-hmm. Olivia Newton John becoming you know the other person right so every time you have to have a transformation in order to have that that happen and the other point I want to make here before we maybe start wrapping up here Tune, is I, I 100% agree that you need to start having these conversations I started having some, these conversations eight days ago. Because I just knew that we just need to get ahead of it. I've been through this before, and I, the mistakes I made in 2008, 2007, 2008, 2009, I, during this time, started to withdraw. I played small. I did not help enough people. I did not step up. I deflected. I distracted myself. Everything you said, I did that. And I've been through this. And I asked myself this time now, what can I do? Like, what would I do? And I say, you know what? Why don't I do the opposite of everything I did 12 years ago? <laughs> Right. And uh, so just leaning into the conversations, and this is one of the conversations here, you know, 12 years ago, I would have not reached out to someone like Philip McKernan. Let's have a really deep conversation and share this with people. I would have just said there, everything's wonderful. Everything's fine. How's it going? Better than, you know, I put on a mask and just pretended. Right. So and that's the other thing is not just where
1: can you help somebody, but where can you ask for help? You know, we've got so many, and with respect, it's not just the men in the world, it's the men and the women. I asked somebody the other day, I said, how hard is asking for help? How good are you asking for help? And he said, not so good. I said, no, you're completely and utterly shit at asking for help. And he laughed. He goes, okay, fair enough. And it's so interesting. And the people that don't ask for help are the very people that will help somebody else. But we're actually, again, depriving and denying other people this opportunity to help us when they want to. How many of us are actually, I'm not talking about reaching out to 50 people and saying, hey, I need help, I need help, and then we get on the phone, I don't know what it is, I just need help. That's a different, that's just attention. That's somebody who just needs oxygen in the world because they weren't hurt as a kid, and by God, they're going to be hurt as an adult. And that's not productive. Okay, so when people reach out to me and they ask me a question on a coaching call, I say, okay, so and they start rambling about the 1960s, okay, excuse me, what is the question you were going to ask? Oh, yeah, 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 okay, and then it gets down to the question. So. Are you helping somebody else? One other person, it doesn't have to be 10,000. And are you asking for help to some extent with somebody? And if you're not asking for help, I think it's selfish because you're depriving the world of an opportunity to help you and you're holding onto your stuff. And by the way, if you're feeling anxiety and you don't think it's emerging in your home or it's emerging with your kids and that you, no one sees it in you, there's nothing more exhausting than holding something inside. Nothing more exhausting on earth than holding something on side or wearing a mask and pretending everything's awesome. It is beyond exhausting, number one. Number two is your kids see right through it. So take the mask off within reason. I'm not asking you to download in your children, your family. I'm just saying, take the mask off, set it aside, allow yourself to feel the emotions you're feeling, share with people around you, not to dump it on them, but to share it. And then to allow yourself to lift out of that and be more proactive in the process. We again, Russell, we isolate ourselves in in the, in the economic meltdown that we're both referred to in different ways. The amount of people that didn't share, didn't open up, didn't talk to their loved ones, didn't go and have therapy, didn't talk to anybody. And it ended up internalizing itself as a physical weight that we put on, uh, manifesting in physical breakdown of our bodies and our problem. Oh, no, that's just my back. That's nothing to do with stress. Well, it's everything to do with stress. And even turning into things like cancer, mental, you know, just exhaustiveness. When we came out the other end of that, people were broke. People felt like I have nothing left to give. And with respect, you don't have to be like that. Don't be a martyr. Most people would rather be right than happy in this world. They'd rather be right than happy. And I see it every day right now. Oh, this is just a, the government did this. This is not a big thing, this virus. And they're so attached to their opinion that they're not open to just helping and being helped in this world because this is about the time we need unity
0: more than ever as a species. Well, one of my main intentions today was to just open the door and start the conversation. I think this is a fantastic point. And I also want to be very respectful for everybody's time, especially yours, Philip. I know how crazy, super busy you are. So if somebody wants to maybe continue a conversation or things like that, is there any way that people can reach out or, you know, a website or contact information or whatever you feel comfortable sharing with people? That would be great.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, we've decided to give a ton of stuff away. So this week, the ebook version or the Kindle version of the one last talk book, highly recommend everyone do that exercise. Basically, you go through this whole process of extracting the one last talk you'll ever give into the world, whether you share it or you don't, that's not the point. But what it does, it teaches you a ton about yourself and you begin to understand yourself in a way that you could not have imagined. Uh, rich on paper, poor on life. It's an older book I did. It's available on Amazon for free. We're doing Basecamp, which is a an online like four week video course. A little older albeit but again giving it away for free we're doing another workshop this week we're giving away for free the give and grow workshop we're doing support calls every tuesday at 12 noon mountain time for just 4 weeks to, just to support people anybody can join us you don't have to go to an event we're not going to be selling you stuff and then i've um i do have a paid experience where we're going to be launching that called brave mind which is five week intense uh, coaching thing because despite the rumors i still have to pay my bills and i still have overheads and stuff russell as well and philipmccurnan.com is my main website and uh you know Check it out if you want to join us and join into the community. Great. And if not, that's absolutely fine.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you very much. So before we do, I'm going to give you the final word here, Philip, for just maybe some final parting words and encouraging or either encouraging or inspired or whatever is, comes from your heart, because I know that's the only place things come from for, with you. I wanted to offer you something. I wanted to offer you just some gratitude. You have been an amazing friend. You've even though we've have drifted apart from time to time. I always keep coming back to Philip McKernan and, and your your brilliance of who you are and the gift that you offer to this world. The other thing, and I shared this with you before we started, and I don't think enough people say this, and, and I, especially for two guys to say this, I love you. And I wanted to just express my genuine love of you and who you are and everything that you stand for. So I just wanted to offer you that first. Thank you. And if you could um, maybe just leave us with some parting words before we sign off here today. Holy fuck. How am I going to speak after that? Oh my God.
1: Uh, And thank you so much for that. It means so much to me. And I heard the compliment, but I don't feel that I'm that gifted or that amazing. And I hear, I'm not trying to dismiss what you said. It's just, I almost kind of see it as something else sits outside of me. And I think probably maybe that's inspired that this thought is that, you know, this sign behind me is not just a logo. This sign behind me is not just something we got a designer to do. This is a Celtic knot, which is, is not a religious symbol. It is uh, It is not a trinity. It is a Celtic knot of which no one knows what it's about. My interpretation of it, and this is my artistic, you know, kind of poetic license is I got this custom for me. The knot, the circle in the middle is you. And the three prongs are the relationship to yourself, yourself, to others and to the work you do. And if you don't, in time, it doesn't have to be tomorrow morning, it doesn't have to be next year, but in time, begin to connect with those things at a deeper fundamental level. There's always gonna be this sense in your life that you're off. And the be brave and that you matter is again, incredibly intentional, is that bravery is not something that's behind a bush in Australia sitting next to a kangaroo. It is inside of you. It has always been inside of you and you do not need anyone to teach you how to be brave. It is already there in abundance. You just need to give yourself permission to allow it to flow. And the final piece is, and I've never used this ever before in any reference point, is, is you matter. And that is, you've got to realize and open up despite the fact that you have the data to prove you're not good enough and that you don't matter in the world and you don't have a voice and you have 50 friends that should do a keynote or should write a book or should do a one last talk or should be on this interview process with Russell. But if you begin to believe that maybe you matter in ways that you don't know, maybe that'll give you the courage to go out into the world and just put your arms around somebody else and ask for help at the same time. So that's my parting words. And uh, I want to say thank you for for having me on today and uh, for continuing to believe in me and for that beautiful compliment you gave me. And uh, I love you too.
0: Oh, thank you very much. So guys, our, our only ask is that you just, if you've got something of this or some value and you're somebody that you need to help and share this message with, just share this. Right. Just please just genuinely just share this. And the other ask I have is just have a conversation. Hopefully this is just the conversation starter for you with your family, with your kids, with you know, every one of your suppliers, people in your life. And let's just continue the conversation and let's let's just all be in this together. All right, everybody. With that being said, we're right on time. Um wanted to thank each and every one of you for taking time out of your busy day. Or if you're watching this on the replay, thank you, everybody. Have yourself a wonderful day. Thanks, Russell. So what did you think of this episode? Did you, was this the second time that you had an opportunity to listen to it? Maybe you heard, you know, what did you get from this one? Did you hear something different this time than when you maybe listened to it or watched the live broadcast the first time? You know, I believe I've mentioned this a couple times, that there's an old stoic philosophy that a person never stands in the same river twice. When you stand in that river the water that flows is completely different. It's new. You're a new person. You've now two years have gone by. You've now grown. You've heard this. And maybe you're a completely different person. Or maybe you didn't hear it the first time, but you heard it differently this time. Okay, so what was some of your key takeaways? What were some of the insights that you might have deepened? Over the past couple of years, or maybe this is the first time you've ever heard of this fellow named Phil McKernan and welcome to the wonderful world of some deep thinking with Phil McKernan. Okay, gang, I'm starting to lose my voice here a little bit. And I'm going to just protect the moneymaker a little bit here. So I'm going to cut this one short. Uh, More episodes still coming out. I got a whole bunch of episodes in the can. I just got to get some intros and some outros and some extra content recorded for them. And I should be, as the week goes on, I should be feeling a little more stronger and a little more, um, the voice will be a little bit better. But anyways, remember, I can't end off a podcast without giving you the signature core saying. Guys, ladies and gentlemen, please remember, in every interaction you have with another person, always leave them feeling inspired, encouraged, and always come from a place of love. Bye for now, everybody.
1: Thank you for listening to the Russell Westcott Podcast.